Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, the case for investing in stocks when inflation is on the rise, an interview with industry legend Jeremy Siegel. We will also discuss the benefits of value and global investing, plus the future of bonds. Jeremy Siegel is a professor of finance at the Wharton School of Business and a senior investment strategy advisor at Wisdom Tree Asset Management. And again, as Robin said, he's a living legend in our profession. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, well, let's start with a look at the markets. We're starting to hear a few calls that a correction may be coming soon. Are we expecting anything out of the ordinary? Well, when we're recording this, we just came off a losing streak in the market. And it's a very common question this time of year, primarily because September is, on average, the weakest month of a typical calendar year in the stock market. And that has been the case if you look at the last 20 years of data, the last 50 years of data, or the last 100 years of data. It actually has an average loss for the month. So it's a good question. And it's also a good question because despite the fact that a lot of markets are off their highs... The overall market has not had a 5% correction off its highs since October of last year. That That's really exceptional because historically, if you look at the data going back well over a century, you typically see three or four 5% corrections per year. So, I mean, it's really exceptional. In fact, we did see something like this a couple years ago that was similar. And then we did have a stretch that was even twice as long back in the 1950s. But the fact that we're just not getting sort of this volatility in the market is exceptional. And I think it's natural for people to ask that question. I think, of course, it's always reasonable to expect a correction of not just 5%. You should always like be thinking for like a 10% correction is imminent. It's just healthy. Well, we do have a lot to get to today. So Orion recently held its annual Ascent Conference. And you booked a terrific interview with Jeremy Siegel. I want to ask you all about that. But first, how was the conference? Well, the conference was great. We had well over a thousand people there. It was in Arizona in August. What a great time to go to a conference, right? <laughs> right. But everybody was in high spirits. And I think even if the conference sucked, which it didn't, the content was great. The people were great. The interactions were great. I think a lot of people just wanted to travel. So again, the spirits were quite high. And again, we had a lot of tremendous content at the conference. Well, one of the presenters was, of course, Jeremy Siegel. He's a professor of finance at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, as you said. And he's a regular commentator on the, on the economy and financial markets and the national media. So what did you think of his address? Well, he's been in the industry for a while, and he just actually retired from teaching. Despite all that, his energy level was remarkable. His confidence was great. He was a great speaker. You could tell he's done that a lot. And even though I haven't seen an official survey yet from Ascent, just anecdotally, multiple people have talked about, because I've asked the question virtually of every advisor is like, what was your favorite presentation? And halfway expecting, of course, can say, of course, it was one of yours, Rusty. <laughs> Actually, that didn't happen. But Jeremy <laughs> Siegel's came up quite a bit. 
It should also be pointed out that our chief behavioral officer at Orion, Dr. Crosby, also scored pretty high. But Jeremy Siegel scored really high, and it made sense because he pulled no punches. He gave a very forceful, decisive, evidence-based type presentation. It was great. Well, as you said, you also gave a talk at the conference, but I noticed that they didn't use your walk-up song. I know. What's up with that? That was the biggest problem to the conference right there. I mean, I know I have my walk-up song. Again, it's Radioheads. I might be wrong. I've said that's my walk-up song for a long time, but the people putting on the conference, which of course they did a tremendous job and kind of behind stage, I don't know how many people they had with headsets, maybe 50, maybe a hundred. I don't know. They were everywhere. But yeah, they picked some song called The Greener Grass. Do you know that? Mm-mm. I have to admit when I walked out on stage, it was pretty thrilling, you know, <laughs> that music, but. all good. Yeah. And actually Jeremy Siegel, he had a walk-up song too by the Foo Fighters. I'm sure he's a huge Foo Fighters fan. I can totally see that. Exactly. I did ask him about it in the interview if he was satisfied with it and he said yes. So he was pretty jacked up about it too. Nice. All right. Okay. Let's get to the good stuff. Your interview with Siegel covered a lot of ground. Set it up for us. Well, he obviously talked about his view on the economy, on the markets. I think he had a pretty interesting view on inflation, which is notable. He talked about changes, what he feels most investors should do in terms of asset allocation. I think some pretty big stuff. He's not mailing it in like a lot of people who have been in the industry for so many decades. He also did give us a little bit more in the podcast interview than he did in the presentation, including what he thinks is the biggest risk in the economy right now. How about that for a tease? You got to listen now. That's good. All right, let's listen. Well, we are here live at the Orion Ascent Conference with Professor Jeremy Siegel, and it's a real treat to have you on the podcast. Thank you. First question, really important question. So you walked out to a song before your big presentation this morning. Were you satisfied with that song, your walk-up song? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The music they picked has been really great. I did the walk-up yesterday, and I have to admit, I was pretty fired up after Uh, this. Yeah, no, I get the juices going, which is important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, first of all, I do have to say thanks for so many contributions you've had to my development, to my own clients that I've had over the years. In fact, the book Stocks for the Long Run, about 20 years ago, right after the dot-com crash, I basically bought a ton of those books and handed them out to people. Thank I, you. I assumed, I, even if they didn't read the book, right there on their table, it said Stocks for the Long Run. Yeah, the message is there. That was it. That was the message. All right, so you just gave a great presentation today. It was loaded with great nuggets, and I just kind of want to walk through some of that. So. I guess the first question is, how does today's current economic and market environment, how is it different than historical precedents in your view? The difference is that the amount of fiscal and especially monetary stimulus is unprecedented. I know unprecedented is probably an overused word today, but we have, as I showed just a few minutes ago in my slides, that the amount of increase of the money supply in 2020 was the most in the last 150 years of our history. And um, it really does mean you have to start looking at things from a different standpoint than you used to in the past. Yeah. And when you say different, what is the impact on the economy expected to be? What are the big takeaways? More inflation, much more than the Fed believes. And again, I want to emphasize, we're not talking about hyperinflation. We're not talking about even as bad as the inflation of the 1970s. 
where we did get to double-digit inflation on a number of years. Yep. But we're talking about inflation of 4, 5, 6%, maybe even 7 That's going to take place over two, three, four years. And my projection is that when this inflationary hump is over, and it will be over, the Fed will bring it under control, but the price level will be a good 20 to 25% higher than it is today. Those are amazing numbers. So I think most people hear those numbers, they have to think that stocks and bonds are in trouble. What is they, your view on those They markets? should think that bonds are in trouble yeah. because bonds only promise to pay you dollars, but stocks are real assets. And what I mean by real assets is that their claims on capital, on land, on plant, on equipment, intellectual copyrights, and property. Uh, These are assets that will move up when the price level moves up. So in many ways, some people think, oh, is the only real asset property or commodities? No, stocks themselves are real assets. So stocks are the place to be when you have the moderate inflation that I am predicting. And I am terming it moderate, even though it's much higher than the Fed is predicting it is still much lower than what we had in the 1970s. This is good stuff. So, so many different directions I could take this. So let's just talk about the stock market. In this environment, do we just own the market or is there certain kinds of stocks we should be owning? Well, we at Wisdom Tree believe that at this particular juncture, there is tremendous value in stocks that are selling at reasonable prices relative to their earnings and their dividends. They are generally termed as value stocks. We know they've been beaten up recently, but their extreme undervaluation exceeds that that occurred during the dot-com mania of 1999 and 2000. And we all know that after that mania, we had a huge resurgence of those value stocks. So I believe that value stocks will outperform, not calling for a crash of the growth or even a bad performance of the growth. I'm just saying that I believe that the value stocks will outperform over the next 12 months. I would also imagine that environment that perhaps international stocks, non-U.S. stocks should probably fare better. And they tend to be more value stocks. And I think the dollar could very well go down in the future because of the fact that we're going to have more inflation here in the United States than in other countries in the world. And that also argues in favor of holding international stocks. Yep. Let's talk about the bond market. So the outlook, you said, does not look good no, for the fixed doesn't. income market. And yes, it is true that I and many others thought that we even would see much higher yields than we do now. But that doesn't mean that even if yields stay where they are, that it is a good investment because the long bond, the 10-year at 1.3, if it stays at 1.3 for, let's say, the rest of this year or even the next 12 months, you're getting a 1.3% before inflation return. And if we get inflation of 5, 6, 7%, that means you're going to get an after inflation return of minus 3, 4, 5%. And that is a bad return. If interest rates go up, then you're going to be double whammied by a depreciating asset as interest rates rise and the fact that you're only getting dollars that are not going to be escalated by the amount of inflation. So one question that I have received from probably three different advisors at this conference myself is when the heck 
our 10-year treasury yields going to start to rise? <laughs> I wish I knew. I actually think, honestly, that if we get a few bad inflation numbers and people say, oh, my goodness, the Fed is going to have to bring forward its tightening, that that is when you're going to see the 10-year move up. But I also recognize that there are many forces bringing 10 years down. A huge hedge demand has developed for the 10-year as a cushion against equity volatility, even though we know the returns from the 10-year are very, very poor in an inflationary environment. Yeah. Okay, so those are longer-term rates. What about short-term rates? When do you think the Federal Reserve will raise short-term rates? Well, I think they're going to have to start raising it in early 2022, and I think they're going to start having to move it to 2 3 4% in order to try to control the inflation. A lot of it has to do with what we see them raising the rates to the money supply, to loans, to the amount of credit and liquidity outstanding, to the degree to which we get expansion of fiscal policy, what finally turns out. So there's a lot of those variables. But my feeling is it's going to be much more aggressive than the market now believes. It just seems like that such a dramatic potential move would have an impact on the stock market. It will. Short term. It, it will. We could have a melt up before we have a, a severe correction. In other words, it could go up another 20, 25 percent before it goes down 10 as people say, I want to hold an inflation hedge, I want to hold an inflation hedge, and they send it up. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the Fed said, oh, no, we're not going to, we're going to be serious about this, they, oops, and they jump off the train. So, you know, volatility is a mark of equities and all speculative markets. So it's, we're not going to be immune to it. But right now, when I look at relative valuations, they still argue way in the direction of stocks over bonds. All right. So one more question about the bond market. So what is your view on corporate bonds, either investment grade or high yield? What is their role in a Corporate bonds are going to do a little bit better. The worst are the non-callable long-term treasuries. Yeah. In my opinion, they're going to fare the worst. Corporates are going to do a little bit better. But don't forget, even corporates promise only to pay dollars. You do not get escalated for inflation. So they also are not going to be among the category of good assets to hold. What about high yield bonds? I mean, yeah, still they're kind of uh, hybrids yeah. between stocks or preferreds and bonds. And they're going to do even better. But very honestly, yes, I own a lot of high yield. And if you're going to go in a fixed income asset, it's attractive because I think credit is going to do very, very well. I don't think there's going to be a recession in hand. So that would do better. But again, I don't think it's going to do as well as real assets. So bringing this all together, can we actually come up with expected returns for these various asset classes? I mean, you kind of talked about the expected return for the bond market, but yeah. let's bring it back to the stock market. Expected return that we could... With current projections going forward, I think the three to five year return on the stock market is going to be four to four and a half percent after inflation, which is going to be a very good return. Not as good as the long run historical return is, but only a percent or so below it and still far outweighing that that you see in fixed income assets. Property has already gone up. I think it's still a good investment. REITs, as you know, have done very well and they probably have a rise to them. You want to hold real assets in this liquidity environment where the Fed is pumping in so much money. How does this all impact asset allocation? It means that you have to shift away from 
what some advisors recommend as a 60-40 stock bond portfolio. We at Wisdom Tree are recommending 75-25 or even more aggressive stock holdings. And if you go towards the dividend-paying stocks, that gives you the extra cushion and the income that you need to withstand the coming inflation. So it sounds like two of the biggest challenges for advisors in this environment, and you could almost argue this is probably our challenges all the time, is one, manage expectations, return expectations, and also prepare investors for volatility. Absolutely. And it is something you always have to do. And let me say, an advisor that holds the hands of clients that are nervous during volatility and keeps them in stocks is worth his or her weight in gold. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about financial advisors. It's a very common question I have on my podcast. What do you think are the attributes or qualities of a good financial advisor? Is actually doing exactly that. Yeah. Being able to answer the concerns of investors, giving investors a long-term perspective, saying this has happened before. Don't listen to those who are the doomsayers and say things are going to fall apart. They've done it before. They've been wrong. Stick to your long-term plan. Yeah. Now, you said something in your presentation that I thought was pretty cool, and you talked about, well, you just recently retired from teaching, and you talked about the greatest gift. Yes. Could you expand on that? The greatest gift for me, and since I've been actually a young child, has been able to explain complicated things in an easier way to see that in the person's eyes light up and say, you know what, I understand something now that I didn't before you spoke about it. Yeah. Uh, to me, that, that means everything. And that's, that's a gift to me. And I, I hope it's a gift to the student too. Yeah. You have so much energy. What are you going to do now? I'm sure you're going to be as busy as ever. <laughs> I'm doing the sixth edition of Stocks for the Long Run. Yeah. I've already written many New chapters. I'm going to be riding on the plane back to Philadelphia uh, this afternoon and hope to get some more uh, knowledge out there to the public. Yeah. And again, you have so much energy. How do you maintain it? What are some of your practices? Keep exercising. Yeah. Right. Enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Enjoy your family. Yeah. Another question I had, and I think you kind of touched upon it too, is it's another thing that financial advisors have to deal with all the time is the negative bias that we have. All the short-term information is just sort of systematically negative. Correct. And so that's what we're always fighting all the time. What are the secrets to counter that? How do, I mean, obviously it's through education and managing expectations, but what are any additional words of wisdom on how to kind of counter the negative bias? Let me just give you a final example. And, you know, I didn't say this in the presentation, but I think you know, we've just come through the pandemic or get, we're getting through the last stages, in my opinion. We passed a bipartisan stimulus package greater than any other country. Our GDP now is above pre-pandemic levels and we're growing at twice the rate before no other developed country is doing as well as we are. We are also the country that produced the most successful vaccines against the virus and therapeutics against the virus. There's a lot to be happy with and a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. All right. I just talked about how to fight the negative bias, but I just forgot a question I wanted to answer earlier. So in this outlook of yours, what could go wrong? (laughs) You know, there's always going to be challenges from the outside. I believe, for instance, that cybersecurity is very critical Mm -hmm. in that uh, there are bad actors out there 
that may want to launch a cyber attack on the U.S., and we have to shore up our defenses against that. Yeah. Not just military defenses in the classical way, but also against cyber attack. But if we remain strong and vigilant, I believe that the future is very bright. Yeah. Another really common question, again, I'd love to get your take on it, is the role of alternative assets, particularly digital assets. You know, digital gold. I know you have a favorable view on gold. Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about crypto assets, interestingly enough. And I myself am not as enthusiastic as many others are on them. I do not believe that they can become a serious competitor to the dollar as an efficient way of transacting. I do think we need reform of our banking system to get up to speed, but they can use current technology to transfer funds in a way that's actually more efficient than Bitcoin. Yeah. That is something that uh, I think is good. Again, digital is the way to go, but it doesn't mean that at the present point it supplants the historical means of payments, nor does it supplant what I think is a 5,000-year history of gold as an asset that has retained its value over the millennia. Yep. Now, on gold itself, again, in terms of an asset allocation, what is sort of a recommended allocation to gold well, or alternatives? Uh, it, it depends, of course, on the risk preferences of every individual. We at Wisdom Tree have what's called Siegel portfolios that do have a slice of gold and commodities in it. Some people say holding 5% gold just as that sliver of insurance is not a bad idea. And I, I would say that I concur with that. Yeah. Well, I do thank you for your time today. This thank has been a much. real treat for me. And how can listeners stay on top of what you're thinking and doing? Well, first of all, our advisors have access to the website where I give weekly commentary. And also, if you have access to Sirius Radio, uh, Sirius Channel 132, is Wharton Business Radio, and at noon on every Friday, I give a 10-minute summary of what has happened and what I think is going on in the markets. Uh, that's another way to keep informed. And Wisdom Tree also supplies podcasts of many of my addresses about the market. Yeah. And then also, you're free to buy or wait until a year from now. Stocks for Long Run has a lot of these wisdoms in it for you to absorb. I'll be buying it again. I'll be using it for holiday Great. gifts. Well, thanks again, Professor Siegel. Again, a real honor, a real treat. Safe travels, and I'll be buying your book. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for being in. Maybe we'll talk again later. Awesome. All right. Well, that was a really great interview. So listening back to it, was there anything else that you wanted to ask? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, we only had 20 minutes, and I think we packed a lot in those 20 minutes. He did. I mean, he was on a tight time schedule, and the fact that he gave it, they, that time was so gracious. And I mean, there's that expression, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. And again, Jeremy Siegel has done so much work, and I was just so appreciative of even the time that he gave me. Again, I think his takeaways on inflation were, were really notable, <laughs> that we could have sustained inflation for a few years, that, you know, asset allocations should probably change to more equity exposure. I think- that's probably surprising to some. But bottom line, it was, I, I'm just thrilled that I was able to speak to him. It was definitely a, a really cool moment. All right. Well, great listen. Great interview. Good job getting that. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Stay balanced and stay the course. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. 
Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.